Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice J, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight we continue our story. The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle by Arthur Conan Doyle I had been delayed at a case, and it was a little after half-past six when I found myself in Baker Street once more. As I approached the house, I saw a tall man in a scotch bonnet with a coat which was buttoned up to his chin waiting outside in the bright semicircle which was thrown from the fanlight. Just as I arrived, the door was opened, and we were shown up together to Holmes's room. Mr. Henry Baker, said he, rising from his armchair and greeting his visitor with the easy air of gentility which he could so readily assume. Pray take this chair by the fire, Mr. Baker. It is a cold night, and I observe that your circulation is more adapted for summer than for winter. Ah, Watson, you have come just at the right time. Is that your hat, Mr. Baker? Yes, sir. That is undoubtedly my hat. He was a large man with rounded shoulders, a massive head and a broad, intelligent face, sloping down to a pointed beard of grizzled brown, a touch of red in nose and cheeks, with a slight tremor of his extended hand, recalled Holmes' surmise as to his habits. Rusty black frock coat was buttoned right up in front, with the collar turned up and bank wrists protruded from his leaves, without a sign of cuff or shirt. He spoke in a slow staccato fashion, choosing his words with care, and gave the impression generally of a man of learning and letters who had ill usage at the hands of fortune. We have retained these things for some days, said Holmes, because we expected to see an advertisement from you giving your address. I am lost to know why you did not advertise. Our visitor gave a rather shamefaced laugh. <laughs> Shillings have not been so plentiful with me as they once were, he remarked. I had no doubt that the gang of roughs who assaulted me had carried off both my hat and the bird. I had not cared to spend more money in a hopeless attempt at recovering them. Very naturally. By the way, about the bird, we were compelled to eat it. To eat it? Our visitor half rose from his chair in his excitement. Yes, Ed would have been of no use to anyone had we not done so. But I presume that this other goose upon the sideboard, which is almost about the same weight and perfectly fresh, will answer your purpose equally well? Oh, certainly, certainly, answered Mr. Baker with a sigh of relief. Of course, we still have the feathers, legs, crop, and so on of your own bird, if you wish. The man burst into a hearty laugh. They might be useful to me as relics of my adventure, said he. But beyond that, I can hardly see what the dijecta membra of my late acquaintance are going to be to me. No, sir, I think that, with your permission, I will confine my attentions to the excellent bird which I perceive upon the sideboard. Sherlock Holmes glanced sharply across at me with a slight shrug of his shoulders. There's your hat, then, and there your bird, said he. By the way, would it bore you to tell me where you got the other one from? 
I am somewhat of a foul fancier, and I have seldom seen a better-grown goose. Certainly, sir, said Baker, who had risen and tucked his newly gained property under his arm. There are a few of us who frequent the Alpha Inn near the museum. We are to be found in the museum itself during the day, you understand. This year, our good host, Windigate by instituted a goose club, by which, on consideration of some few pence every week, we were each to receive a bird at Christmas. My pence was duly paid, and the rest is familiar to you. I am much indebted to you, sir, for a scotch bonnet is fitted neither into my years nor my gravity. With a comical pomposity of manner, he bowed solemnly to both of us and strode off upon his way. So much for Henry Baker, said when he had closed the door behind him. It is quite certain that he knows nothing whatever about Are you hungry, Watson? Not particularly. Then I suggest that we turn our dinner into a supper and follow up this clue. It is still hot. By all means. It was a better night, so we drew on our ulsters and wrapped cravats around our throats. Outside, the stars were shining coldly in a cloudless sky, and the breath of the passers-by blew out into smoke like so many pistol shots. Our footfalls rang out crisply and loudly as we swung through the doctor's quarter, Wimpole Street, Harley Street, and so through Wigmore Street into Oxford Street. In a quarter of an hour, we were in Bloomsbury at the Alpha Inn, which is a small public house at the corner of one of the streets which runs down into Holborn. Holmes pushed open the door of the private bar and ordered two glasses of beer from the ruddy-faced, white-aproned landlord. "'Your beer should be excellent if it is as good as your geese,' said he. "'My geese?' the man seemed surprised. "'Yes, I was speaking only half an hour ago to Mr. Henry Baker, who was a member of your goose club.' "'Ah, yes, I see. "'But you see, sir, that's not our geese. "'Indeed. "'Who's then? "'Well, I got the two dozen from a salesman in Covent Garden. "'Indeed, I know some of them. "'Which was it? "'Breckenridge's is... "'Ah, I don't know him. "'Well, here's your good health, landlord, "'and prosperity to your house. "'Good night.' "'Now for Mr. Breckenridge,' he continued buttoning up his coat as we came into the frosty air. Remember, Watson, that though we have so homely a thing as a goose at one end of this chain, we have at the other a man who will certainly get seven years' penal servitude unless we can establish his innocence. It is possible that our inquiry may but confirm his guilt, but in any case, we have a line of investigation which has been missed by the police, and which a singular chance has placed in our hand. Let us follow it out to the bitter end. Faces to the south end, and quick march. We pass across Holborn, down Endall Street, and through a zigzag of slums to Covent Garden Market. One of the largest stalls bore the name of Breckenridge upon it, and the proprietor, a horsey look, with a sharp face and trim side whiskers, was helping a boy to put up. Good evening. It's a cold night, said Holmes. The salesman nodded and shot a questioning glance at my companion. Sold out of geese, I see, continued Holmes, pointing at the bare slabs of marble. Let you have five hundred tomorrow morning. That's no good. Well, there are some on the store with the gas flare. Ah, uh, but I was recommended to you. Who by? 
The landlord of the Alpha. Ah, yes, I sent him a couple dozen. Fine birds they were, too. Now, where did you get them from? To my surprise, the question provoked a burst of anger from the salesman. Now then, mister, said he, with his head cocked and his arms akimbo. What are you driving at? Let's have it straight now. It is straight enough. I should like to know who sold you the geese which you supplied to the Alpha. Well, then I shan't tell you. So now. Oh, it is a matter of no importance. But I don't know why you should be so warm over such a trifle. Warm? You'd be warm, maybe, if you were as pestered as I am. When I pay good money for a good article, there should be an end of the business. But it's, where are the geese? And who did you sell the geese to? And what will you take for the geese? One would think they were the only geese in the world to hear the fuss that is made over them. Well, I have no connection with any other people who've been making inquiries, said Holmes carelessly. If you won't tell us the batter's off, that's all. But I'm always ready to back my opinion on a matter of fowls, and I have a fiver on it that the bird I ate is country bread. Well, then you've lost your fiver, for it's town bread, snapped the salesman. It's nothing of the kind. I say it is. I don't believe it. Do you think you know more about fowls than I, who have handled them ever since I was a nipper? I tell you all those birds that went to the Alpha were town-bred. You'll never persuade me to believe that. Well, you bet then. It's merely taking your money, for I know that I am right. But I'll have a sovereign on with you, just to teach you not to be obstinate. The salesman chuckled grimly. Bring me the books, Bill, said he. The small boy brought round a small thin volume and a great greasy back, laying them out together beneath the hanging lamp. Now then, Mr. Cocksure, said the salesman, I thought that I was out of geese, but before I finish you'll find that there's still one left in my shop. You see this little book? No. That's the list of the folk from whom I buy. You see? Well then, here on the page are the country folk, and the numbers after their names are where their accounts are in the big ledger. Now then, you see this other page in red ink? Well, that is a list of my town suppliers. Now look at that third name. Just read it out to me. Mrs. Oakshot, 117 Brixton Road, 249, Red Holmes. Quite so. Now turn that up in the ledger. Holmes turned to the page indicated. Here you are, Mrs. Oakshot, 117 Brixton Road, egg and poultry supplier. Now then, what's the last entry? December 22nd, 24 geese at 7S6D. Quite so. There you are. And underneath, sold to Mr. Windigate of the Alpha at 12S. What have you to say now? Sherlock Holmes looked deeply chagrined. He drew a sovereign from his pocket and threw it down upon the slab, turning away with the air of a man whose disgust is too deep for words. A few yards off, he stopped under a lamppost and laughed, in the hearty, noiseless fashion which was peculiar to him. When you see a man with whiskers of that cut and the pink unprotruding out of his pocket, you can always draw him by a bet, said he. I dare say that if I had put a hundred pounds down in front of him, that man would not have given me such complete information as was drawn from him by the idea that he was doing me on a wager. Well, Watson, we are, I fancy, nearing the end of our quest, and the only point which remains to be determined is whether we should go on to this Mrs. Oakshot tonight, or whether we should reserve it for tomorrow. 
It is clear from what that surly fellow said that there are others besides ourselves who are anxious about the matter. And I should, his remarks were suddenly cut short by a loud hubbub, which broke out from the stall which we had just left. Turning round, we saw a little rat-faced fellow standing in the center of the circle of the yellow light which was thrown by the swinging lamp, while Breckenridge, the salesman, framed in the door of his stall, was shaking his fist fiercely at the cringing figure. "'I've had enough of you and your geese!' he shouted. "'I wish you were all at the devil together. "'If you come pestering me any more with your silly talk, "'I'll set the dog at you. "'You bring Mrs. Oakshot here and I'll answer her. "'But what have you to do with it? "'Did I buy the geese off you?' "'No, but one of them was mine all the same,' whined the little. "'Well, then, ask Mrs. Oakshot for it. "'She told me to ask you.' Well, you can ask the king of Prussia for all I care. I've had enough of it. Get out of this. He rushed fiercely forward, and the inquirer flitted away in the darkness. Ha! This may save us a visit to Brixton Road, whispered Holmes. Come with me, and we will see what is to be made of this fellow. Striding through the scattered knots of people who lounged round the flaring stalls, my companion speedily overtook the little man and touched him upon the shoulder. He sprang round, and I could see in the gaslight that every vestige of color had been driven from his face. "'Who are you, then? What do you want?' he asked in a quivering voice. "'You will excuse me,' said blandly, "'but I could not help overhearing the questions which you put to the salesman just. "'I think that I could be of assistance to you.' "'You? Who are you?' "'How could you know anything of the matter?' "'My name is Sherlock Holmes. "'It is my business to know what other people don't know.' But you can know nothing of this. Excuse me, I know everything of it. You are endeavoring to trace some geese which were sold by Mrs. Oakshot of Brixton Road to a salesman named Breckenridge, by him in turn to Mr. Windigate of the Alpha, and by him to his club, of which Mr. Henry Baker is a member. Oh, sir, you are the very man whom I have longed to meet, cried the little fellow, with outstretched hands and quivering fingers. I can hardly explain to you how interested I am in this matter. Sherlock Holmes hailed a four-wheeler which was passing. In that case, we had better discuss it in a cozy room, rather than this windswept marketplace, said. But pray tell me, before we go farther, who it is that I have the pleasure of assisting? The man hesitated for a moment. My name is John Robinson, he answered with a sidelong glance. No, no, the real name, said Holmes sweetly. It's always awkward doing business with Theus. A flush sprang to the white cheeks of the stranger. Well then, said he, my real name is James Ryder. Precisely so, head attendant at the Hotel Cosmopolitan. Pray step in cab, and I shall soon be able to tell you everything which you would wish to know. The little man stood glancing from one to the other of us with half-frightened, half-hopeful eyes, as one who is not sure whether he's on the verge of a windfall or of a catastrophe. Then he stepped into the cab, and in half an hour we were back at the sitting room at Baker Street. Nothing had been said during our drive but the high, thin breathing of our new companion, and the claspings and unclaspings of his hands spoke of the nervous tension within him. "'Here we are,' said Holmes cheerily. We filed into the room. "'The fire looks very seasonable in this weather.' You look cold, Mr. Ryder. Pray take the basket. I will just put on my slippers before we settle this little matter of yours. Now then, 
You want to know what became of those geese? Yes, sir. Or rather, I fancy, of that goose. It was one bird, I imagine, in which you are interested. White, with a black bar across the tail? Ryder quivered with emotion. Oh, sir, he cried. Can you tell me where it went to? It came here. Here? Yes, and a most remarkable bird it proved. I don't wonder that you should take an interest in it. It laid an egg after it was dead. The bonniest, brightest little blue egg ever was seen. I have it here at Miami. Our visitor staggered to his feet and clutched a mantelpiece with his right hand. Holmes unlocked his strongbox and held up the blue carbuncle which shone out like a star with a cold, brilliant, many-pointed radiance. Ryder stood glaring with a drawn face, uncertain whether to claim or to disown it. The game's up, Ryder, said Holmes. Hold up, man. We'll be into the fire. Let me know him back into his chair, Watson. He's not got blood enough to go in for a felony with impunity. Give him a dash of brandy. So, now he looks a little more human. What a shrimp it is, to be sure. For a moment, he'd staggered and nearly fallen, but the brandy brought a tinge of color into his cheeks, and he sat staring with frightened eyes at his... I have almost every link in my hands, and all the proofs which I could possibly need, so there is little which you could tell me. Still, that little may as well be cleared up to make the case complete. You had heard, Ryder, of this little blue stone of the Countess of Morcar's? It was Catherine Cusack who told me of it, said he in a crackling voice. I see, her ladyship's waiting maid. Well, the temptation of sudden wealth so easily acquired was too much for you, as it has been for better men before you. But you were not very scrupulous in the means you used. It seems to me, Ryder, that there is the making of a very pretty villain in you. You knew that this man Horner, the plumber, had been concerned in some such matter before, and that suspicion would rest the more readily upon him. What did you do then? You made some small job in my lady's room. You and your confederate Cusick. And you managed that he should be the man sent for. Then when he had left, rifled the jewel case, raised the alarm, and had this unfortunate man arrested. Ryder threw himself down suddenly upon the rug, and clutched at my companion's knees. For God's sake, have mercy, he shrieked. Think of my father, of my mother. It would break their hearts. I never went wrong before. I never will again, I swear it. I'll swear it on a Bible. Well, don't bring me into court, for Christ's sake, don't. Get back into your chair, said Holmes. It is very well to cringe and crawl now, but you thought little enough of this poor Horner in the dock for a crime of which he knew nothing. I will fly, Mr. Holmes. I will leave the country, sir. Then the charge against him will break down. We'll talk about that. And now, let us hear a true account of the next act. How came the stone into the goose, and how came the goose into the open market? Tell us the truth, for there lies your only hope of safety. Ryder passed his tongue over his parched lips. I will tell you just as it happened, sir, said he. When Horner had been arrested, it seemed to me that it would be best for me to get away with the stone at once, for I did not know at what moment the police might not take it into their heads to search me in my room. There was no place about the hotel where it would be safe. I went out as if on some commission, and I made for my sister's house. 
She had married a man named Oakshot and lived in Brixton Road, where she fattened fowls for the market. All the way there, every man I met seemed to me to be a policeman or a detective, and for all that, it was a cold night. The sweat was pouring down my face before I came to the Brixton Road. My sister asked me what was the matter and why I was so pale. But I told her that I had been upset by the jewel robbery at the hotel. Then I went into the backyard and smoked a pipe and wondered what it would be best to do. I had a friend once called Maudsley, who went to the bad and has just been serving his time in Bentonville. One day he had met me and fell into talk about the ways of thieves and how they could get rid of what they stole. I knew that he would be true to me, for I knew one or two things about him. So I made up my mind to go right on to Kilburn, where he lived, and take him into my confidence. He would show me how to turn the stone into money, but how to get to him in safety. I thought of the agonies I had gone through in coming from the hotel. I might at any moment be seized and searched, and there would be the stone in my waistcoat pocket. I was leaning against a wall at the time, and looking at the geese which were waddling about around my feet, and suddenly an idea came into my head which showed me how I could beat the best detective that ever lived. My sister had told me some weeks before that I might have the pig of her geese for a Christmas present, and I knew that she was always as good as her word. I would take my goose now, and in it I would carry my stone to Kilburn. There was a little shed in the yard, and behind this I drove one of the birds, a fine big one, white with a barred tail. I caught it and prying its bill open, I thrust its stone down its throat as far as my finger could reach. The bird gave a gulp, and I felt the stone pass along its gullet and down into its crop. But the creature flapped and struggled, and out came my sister to know what was the matter. As I turned to speak to her, the brute broke loose and fluttered off along the others. "'Whatever were you doing with that bird, Jem?' says she. "'Well,' said I, "'you said you'd give me one for Christmas, and I was feeling which was the fattest.' "'Oh,' says she, "'we've set yours aside for you.' Jem's bird, we call it. It's the big white one over yonder. There's 26 of them, which makes one for you and one for us and two dozen for the market. Thank you, Maggie, says I. But if it is all the same to you, I'd rather have that one I was handling just now. The other was a good three pound heavier, said she, and we fattened it expressly for you. Never mind. I'll have the other. Take it now, said I. Just as you like, said she, a little baffled. Which is it you want? The white one with the barred tail right in the middle of the flock. Oh, very well. Kill it and take it with you. Well, I did what she said, Mr. Holmes, and I carried the bird all the way to Kilburn. I told my pal what I had done, for he was a man that it was easy to tell a thing like that to. He laughed until he choked, and we got a knife and opened the goose. My heart turned to water, for there was no sign of the stone, and I knew that some terrible mistake had occurred. I left the bird rushed back to my sister's and hurried into the backyard. There was not a bird to be seen there. Where are they all, Maggie? I cried. Gone to the dealers, Jem. Which dealers? Brackenridge of Covent Garden. But there was another with a barred tail, I asked. The same as the one I chose? Yes. There were two barred-tailed ones, and I could never tell them apart. Well, then, of course, I saw it all and I ran off as hard as my feet would carry me to this man Bruckenridge. But he had sold a lot at once, and not one word would he tell me as to where they'd gone. You heard him yourselves tonight. Well, he's always answered me like that. My sister thinks that I'm going mad. Sometimes I think that I am myself. And now, now I am myself a branded thief, without ever having touched the wealth for which I had sold my character. 
help me, God help me. He burst into convulsive sobbing with his face buried in his hands. There was a long silence, broken only by his heavy breathing and the measured tapping of Sherlock Holmes' fingertips upon the edge of the table. Then my friend rose and threw open the door. Get out, said he. What, sir? Oh, heaven bless you. No more words. Get out. And no more words were needed. There was a rush, a clatter upon the stairs, the bang of a door, and the crisp rattle of running footfalls from the street. After all, Watson, said Holmes, reaching up his hand for his clay pipe, I am not retained by the police to supply their deficiencies. If Horner were in danger, it would be another thing. But this fellow will not appear against him, and the case must collapse. I suppose that I am commuting a felony, but it is just possible that I am saving a soul. This fellow will not go wrong again. He is too terribly frightened. Send him to jail now, and you make him a jailbird for life. Besides, it is the season of forgiveness. Chance has put in our way a most singular and whimsical problem, and its solution is its own reward. If you will have the goodness to touch the bell, Doctor, we will begin another investigation, in which also a bird will be the chief feature. Well, there you have it. Sherlock Holmes fighting the good fight, and maybe setting a guy who had temporarily lost his way firmly right on the straight and narrow. Legality aside, if you need legal help for various forms and things like that, Maybe making a will or bequeathing your blue carbuncle? Try LegalZoom.com. They've got everything you need to put up your will and your any business papers that you may need. Enter BBJ in the promo code and it will do absolutely nothing, for this is not a sponsored read. I would like to remind you that we are always looking for great public domain stories to read. You can email them to me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're helping people get a good night's sleep. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 